Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, everybody, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss, well, never mind. Let's go Let's go a different direction with that. I am not excited to discuss what was a pretty abhorrent game from the Denver Nuggets. Final score, 128-98 against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They rest a whole bunch of guys. They rest a whole bunch of players. And at this point, I think you just got to know that this team, like, they know what the final goal is, right? This team knows what the final goal is for this group. They want a championship. They don't need the wins in the regular season as much as most teams do. And given the overall look of the standings right now, I'm not surprised that Denver, they rested Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. This was always going to be the situation. This was always going to be what the Nuggets did. And those guys are dealing with actual injuries. This isn't the case where, I mean, except for Jamal, like he he's dealing with recovery in this case. But for the most part, these guys are just dealing with actual stuff. And I hope everybody recognizes that, yes, this is a load management situation, but are you really going to go out of your way to put Nikola Jokic at risk with a, a hamstring injury where he it's a soft tissue injury. Those things are lethal if you re-aggravate them. There's lots of things going on with Aaron Gordon right now. There's lots of things going on with KCP who just literally stepped on somebody's foot, rolled an ankle yesterday. And that's just kind of what happens in the in the grand scheme of things. So Denver, they got caught in a really tough situation from a rest standpoint. We'll talk about that game. Uh, over the course of about one segment, maybe uh, one and a half. And we're going to more focus on some other things that happened around the NBA, including Kyrie Irving getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks, which I know is something that a lot of people are interested in. I know it's something that a lot of people have uh, a general, not not fear of, but hey, what what does this mean for a team like Denver? What does this mean for the rest of the Western Conference and, and many of the teams that Denver could face? So we will get into that. But first, as you see on the bottom of the screen, Nikola Jokic out, Jamal Murray out, Aaron Gordon out, KCP out. All of those guys sat and in this game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, not a good situation. Uh, that team, we're, we're, they're pretty good. They've, they've been playing pretty well, even without Carl Anthony Towns over the course of these past few weeks. And they've kind of righted the ship a little bit as Anthony Edwards has played better. But it did give an opportunity for Michael Porter and... Christian Brown and guys like that to kind of step up into this situation, a new situation where you have no idea what what it's going to look like, but you know that those guys are going to be counted upon. And with those guys, Christian Brown, there, there were some interesting moments for Denver within this game. What I will say is that uh, I'm, I'm not looking too much into this game and nobody else should too. You want to focus on the positives. You don't really want to focus on the negatives because when you take out your four most reliable players, obviously it's going to be an issue. Obviously that's going to be something that Denver has to deal with. And they they didn't deal with it well tonight, but that's not really a surprise. And it's not really a concern either. But what I will say is you got to watch Michael Porter kind of go through the, the ringer a little bit in terms of being defended like a star player, being defended like he was the, the main option on the court. Jaden McDaniels, Spent a lot of time, as did uh, Kyle Anderson, as did a couple of other guys, but it was mostly Jaden McDaniels on Michael Porter Jr. 
And I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a, a fascinating move. And it's a guy that is one of the really great young defenders in the NBA right now. And so Michael Porter struggled to get off his shot. He struggled to get off his shot from three, two of 10 from three tonight, but he was five of six from two and six of eight from the free throw line. And to me, that's some good progress. That is some good stuff. And I'm excited about this potential development, about how this could be more of a a push towards Michael Porter being the second option, first option type that he was looking to be coming out of school, uh, coming out of uh, Missouri. He is going to be a really great player for a long time, as long as he stays healthy. But the one thing that has really lagged behind in his development, we've talked about this on the show before, has been uh, his ability to create off the dribble and really kind of lead an offense. Uh, He's the tip of the spear at times where a lot of other guys are creating, where a lot of other guys are doing what they need to do in order to create good offense. But for Mike, uh, one assist tonight, I think he had two turnovers, not necessarily the playmaking that you would want for him, but he still scored. He still found ways to score, even though his outside shot wasn't dropping. He's an elite shooter. I think everybody understands that. But when he's bothered most is when he has to take awkward step backs, when he has a, a hand in his face. Jaden McDaniels, who has like he's six foot nine, has like a seven two wingspan or something crazy like that. That's going to be a tough matchup. And I think teams, if they are able to, will put those kinds of matchups on Michael Porter. The problem is that when Denver's healthy, you're putting that guy on Jamal Murray, trying to make sure that he is bothered. Or you have that guy on Aaron Gordon, who is Denver's other really tough matchup. So it's not like these teams can sell out on Michael Porter unless he is with the bench, unless he is with a group that doesn't have a lot of self-creators, that doesn't have a lot of guys that take up a bunch of attention. So I thought that this was a pretty good preview of what it's going to look like from a playoff standpoint. If Michael Porter has to stagger with the bench, this could be what you see. This could be what happens. And it was fine. It wasn't great. If Denver can at least survive in those minutes, then that's fine. Michael Porter tonight was a minus seven in his minutes. And He played with some pretty bad lineups at times, so it wasn't just hopeless. It wasn't great because the Nuggets lost by 30 points, but I'm not really taking the final score into account here. I think you just want to see details. You want to see little things. I think we got enough of it from Michael Porter. Also tried hard defensively, though I will say the overall level of Denver's defense was down, and I think that dragged down his level of effectiveness too. Let's next go to Christian Brown, who's another guy that I think is a very interesting character for this Nuggets team. Bones Highland gets the DNPCD. We'll talk about that in the second segment. And Christian Brown, over the course of this last month, maybe a little bit longer, has really started to develop that level of consistency, that level of trust within the Nuggets organization. From the early point in the season, from the get-go, he was always going to be a guy that Michael Malone wanted to play. There's a pecking order here, though. And Michael Malone also wanted to give Bones Highland and other guys all of the opportunities that they could get before he turned to the rookie. And that's healthy, honestly. I do think that that is something that good teams do, great teams do. 
They force guys to earn it. You coach the young guys hard. You try to instill good habits. And then they turn into these really good hustle players, or at least most of the time. And a guy like Christian Brown, you can start to really count on because you know he's going to play hard. And Christian Brown said after last game on Saturday that that's what he likes to do. That's how he knows he's going to get on the court. So he played hard and played pretty well. And you could see actual scoring to go with some of the defense, some of the rebounding, some of the hustle in general. 19 points tonight, 7 of 10 from the field, 2 of 2 from 3. You'd like to see him let it fly just a little bit more. Uh, Denver actually struggled to get off perimeter shots tonight. I think that Christian Brown at some point is going to have to get to a better place where he is taking off the dribble jumpers, where he is taking more contested shots because teams are going to dare him to shoot and then stick up a hand. And if he just stops the offense and kind of record scratches a little bit, then that is the goal of the defense. That's what they want to do. They want to slow him down. His decision making, his decision making is going to have to be good. It's going to have to be better. And I'm hopeful that Denver at this point can continue to get that from him because what we've seen from the detail stuff has been mostly great. Like he defends his ass off all the time. He is very, very consistent. From an effort standpoint, he has the size to switch, contest bigs, contest smalls, do a lot of different things that the Nuggets want to do with their scheme. And so it's good to see Christian Brown doing this. I don't want to stick too long on it because it was still a bad game and he was still a minus 13 in this situation. So Denver still wasn't successful as a team as, as often as they probably needed to be. But I do think that Christian Brown... Definite bright spot. He had a season high tonight, which of course, being a rookie, he it's a career high. I think that he will set a new career high at some point in March or April. That would be my guess as he continues to play more, continues to gain more confidence. And we're just going to have to see whether that actually manifests. But really like what we see from Christian Brown. Really good player tonight. Bruce Brown will go through this more quickly. 16 points on 4 of 9, 7 of 8 from the free throw line. I liked what I saw from Bruce when he was attacking, when he was getting downhill, when he was driving into the defense and forcing contact and he was forcing these fouls that the bigs on Minnesota were like, this sucks, this is annoying, we can't contest this guy because he's driving into us and we keep fouling. But that's what Bruce has to do. His floater, he hit one tonight. He airballed another. I think he missed another. At this point, I do not trust the floater. I think it's a bad shot. I think it's one of those where he got a lot of notoriety for it because he attempted a lot of them. But even when he was in Brooklyn, he didn't make a lot of them. He was at this place where he had to do it because of the way that Brooklyn played. Because and we'll talk about one of those guys in, in the third segment. But I think that Bruce is a good player. I think that when he's more aggressive and he tries to draw contact, he's even better than that. And to me, I would be surprised if uh, he goes to the floater too often in the postseason. I think he's going to try to drive to the rim a little bit more aggressively in those situations, try to draw contact. And then if he goes seven of eight at the free throw line, it can save a lot of sins. It can save a lot of misses like he had one of four from three. Like that's fine if he gets to the free throw line eight times. So I do think that the seven assists to three turnovers, that's a fine ratio. Not, nothing to write home about, but it's fine. And he is a good player, deserves the credit that he's going to get. All right. DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green. This is kind of where 
this is tough. This is a tough one. I know that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about DeAndre Jordan, about Jeff Green. They're very similar, but similar guys in that they are at similar stages in their careers where as athletic players, guys who jumped above the rim could move, could guard, could do everything that you really needed to, veterans to do. They've really slowed down. And I thought it was very notable tonight on the second night of a back-to-back. Now, I know neither of those guys played yesterday, but I do think that the travel, people don't really factor this in that much or, or at least think about it too much. For veterans, travel is what matters. It's not even the fact that you played. Like, you, you, it's the travel. It's everything. It's, it's losing an hour. It's sleeping not in your own bed. Like, they're used to it, but it still sucks. So I don't want to belabor the point. But Jeff Green has slowed down a ton. And I'm not surprised that Vlaco was a guy that they went with on the first night, uh, last night, where Saturday night you, you have a game that you want to win, where you play all of your guys. Aaron Gordon starts, Vlaco Chanchar backs him up. Wasn't perfect, Vlaco wasn't, but he was still pretty good and was pretty helpful. Jeff, I think, is still struggling with that. He, he did not shoot well from the perimeter tonight on the season. He's shooting a really low percentage, too. And I'm at that point with him where I just don't really trust what he does. And that is a really, really tough spot to be, where if you are a Nuggets fan and you're trying to figure out, okay, how are you going to solve the bench? What are you going to do? Michael Malone probably thinks about it differently than you do. Michael Malone probably thinks about the veteran in Jeff Green wanting to have a stable option, especially somebody that can go to the post, that can run in transition, do some things. But I think that Blacko is just a better player and should play over him. We've made that point on this podcast before, though. DeAndre Jordan, like Zeke should just continue to play over him. There's no question about that based off of what we saw tonight. Like, he could not catch the ball. He struggled around the rim. He got blocked by Rudy Gobert on the first possession, and he could not contest at the rim either. So that was a problem. That was a definite, definite issue. Vlaco and Zeke, I thought that, and a little bit wordy here, they were a step, a step slow. They were sagging off a little bit. It's not like either of those guys were great tonight either. There's a reason why Denver lost this game by 30. It wasn't just because they didn't have the stars. It's because they were at the place where they were where, oh my gosh, it, it just like it feels hopeless at various points. And Denver tried at various points, and I think Vlaco was on the on the floor for a couple of those possessions. Zeke was on the floor for a few of those possessions. But in my mind, I just I, I did not like what I saw from either of them. It does not mean that they won't be better. Uh, I, I just have more belief in them rising to the occasion right now than I do Jeff or yeah, Jeff or DeAndre. Like that's just how it is. All right. Tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go over the Bones Highland DNP and some some trade stuff that is circling around Denver and the NBA at large. But first, this podcast, as you know, it is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Superbook is doing a great thing for everybody right now. They are, uh, oh gosh, where's my read? Uh, the final draft for championship is here, excuse me. And there is no better place to wager on the football title tilt than our good friends over at Superbook Sports. They are bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands. And now they will add... Uh, They are a special odds boost that you can check out at Superbook.com. With three decades of odds-making experience in Las Vegas, there's no better place to wager than Superbook Sports. 
win some money as one lucky team wins the championship. Download the Superbook Sports app today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. A little bit of a weird time. Uh, This was not your best game. This was not the best game for the Nuggets, I would say. Uh, It was obviously going to be an issue for this team, but look, it is what it is. I do think that Denver at this spot, they are fine. They were willing to rest. They were willing to play their deep bench because they know that the rest of the Western Conference isn't doing anything to put any pressure on them. Memphis lost again tonight. Uh, Sacramento lost again tonight. It's not like any of these other teams that are behind Denver are doing anything to make it easier to make it harder on Denver to go get that one seed. Denver still controls their own destiny. Whenever they play Sacramento or Memphis or the Clippers or any team like that, they're going to be fine. They're going to play their guys. They're going to make sure that all of those players are ready. But one guy that didn't play tonight when everybody else did, uh, and except for Jack White, who was available after an adductor strain, but I assume that Michael Malone just wanted to give him another night off. Uh, It seems he's been out, but an adductor strain, like any uh, tissue injury, is just not really something that you mess with. Bones Highland, though, DNPCD, DNP for Bones Highland. And in my mind, this is the most telling of them all. I can understand if Denver was going to rest Bones at various points. I can understand if they wanted to give some opportunities while they were healthy to their bench lineup to see what a more defensive group was going to look like and try to get Christian Brown some extra time. Bruce Brown as the minutes of point guard. They staggered Michael Porter uh, in the Atlanta game. That was good. And then they had some some good moments there where they actually learned a lot about their team, I think. But tonight, you weren't really going to learn anything about your team. You are just going to try to get through it. And the fact that Bones was kind of the guy left by the wayside, it was Bones and Jack White who were the injured guys tonight. Uh, Bones is on ice. Bones is going to be, like, unless I'm crazy, it's going to be out until after the trade deadline. And whether he is, whether he plays or not, like after the trade deadline for Denver, whether he stays in Denver or not, I can't really tell you. Like nothing is ever guaranteed until it's guaranteed. But I do think at this stage that with Bones being out tonight, with him being a DNPCD tonight, of all nights, it really just goes to show where this thing is at. It would not surprise me. I haven't confirmed this, so do not like, do not aggregate this. Do not put this on a message board or anything. But like, look, maybe management said to Michael Malone, "Don't play Bones. We don't want him to get hurt before a trade. We want to make sure that we can get maximum value. We want to make sure that we can move him, and it's not a situation where he turns an ankle or or something worse, 
And then teams are a little bit more adverse to trying to acquire somebody like him. And in my mind, that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I do think that Denver could do a little bit better. I do think that Denver at this spot is trying to maximize the value that they actually do get. And it would not surprise me if they do get something good. But we will see. We will see what it ultimately does. But let's go to now the latest on the Bones Highland market. I don't have a ton of information here. I don't, I don't want to like get anybody in trouble or anything like that. I am pretty confident that the Nuggets have talked to a lot of teams about who is interested in Bones, who is not interested in Bones, trying to go get various players. Uh, there are teams that are interested. This isn't a thing where Denver can't get any interest in somebody like Bones. I have no doubt that there are rebuilding teams that they maybe don't see Bones as a starter, but would see him as a valuable six man. And I think one of the issues with Bones is that he wants playing time. He wants a place where he can be like Jalen Green, where Jalen Green gets basically free reign to do whatever he wants in Houston. And this is his second year of doing it. And he puts up numbers as a result. Bones wants something like that, where he can, like he, he'd prefer to win, but he also just wants to play and has, has wants to have that in his pocket in terms of being able to do something like that. So I'm not surprised that that's kind of going that direction. But the problem that you face is that there just aren't that many teams that see him as a starter, that see him as a uh, a star point guard. Right? They more see him as that Jordan Clarkson, Jordan, uh, yeah, Jordan Clarkson, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams kind of type player, where he's a he's a burner. He's a scorer off the bench, somebody who changes the pace of the game. That's how Denver was trying to use him. That's how Denver was trying to put him into a good situation to succeed. And the fact that it failed and that he still wants more, I don't think, like, I think the teams are a little bit concerned about that, though there are still some that remain interested. Unconfirmed, but the Nuggets have also made calls about various people. They've tried to find the right fit for various players in a bone swap. I don't know whether they've actually found that guy, and, and I don't know if I can even really share what the names of these guys are, but I mean, I, I could, let's be honest, but I think that it's best to leave that under the rug until, uh, until things actually become public, because that's when, like, you don't want, you want to, you don't want to mess with things in conversations like this. I don't want to be the guy that messes with things before they're actually confirmed. Uh, but the Nuggets are, they're, they're making proactive calls too. They're receiving calls and they're making calls. It remains to be seen how far those calls will actually go. But Denver, I do think, is motivated to get a deal done, as you've seen from the DNP, as you've seen from where they are. Uh, here's where the rest of the roster stands, though. Trades from, uh, involving the rest of the roster, I do think, remain unlikely. I think that Denver at this point likes their team. I think they like what they have and they want to they want to go far with this group. I think they believe in this group. Um let me just say uh uh Monte Morris for Bones from Nicola. I think that Monte would be great. The problem with Monte is that if you're in a situation right now where Monte's a guy that you traded, you just traded Monte. 
in this last offseason. So within the calendar year, it's actually illegal to reacquire somebody that you sent out. Um, now, if he was a free agent in the offseason, that you could get him, but he's not. And Denver, I think, they'd love to have a guy like Monte Morris back. He'd be so helpful for what this group needs. But I do think that like, unless Monte is then traded to one other team and then rerouted to Denver, then that would be the only way that they could really do something like that. But it's a good thought. He's the kind of player that I'm thinking about. Um, Alan says, I would also I would be interested in you to watch Anabe, especially since Brooklyn needs a point guard now. Kind of. They don't need bones. Uh, they have Cam Thomas there. Cam Thomas just scored 44 points. They have a young guard that can fill it up. They just do not need bones, I think. that's. It would be cool. It would be great. If I were Denver, I'd be trying to get creative in situations like that. But I think that Cam Thomas is like he's 6'4", Bones is 6'2 and a half, 6'3". They're very similar players in terms of what they want to do on the court, which is just, just score and not play a lot of defense. Um, but in general, I do think the trades remind, uh, with the rest of the roster still remain unlikely. Even though Jeff hasn't been great, even though a guy like uh, DeAndre hasn't been great, Vlaco's a little bit unproven, there's still a lot to think about with what Denver could actually get on the trade market. I think that they still need another big. That would be good. But I do think that Denver could use a reliable big man. Uh, they're interested in a big man for sure. That is something that they would want to get. But if they don't get it, I don't think it ends their title pursuit. I think they're still in the driver's seat in a lot of ways in the Western Conference. Is that like fair? The rest of the Western Conference is just not that good right now, but maybe a team makes a trade, and we'll talk about that in the third segment. Maybe a team makes a trade where they jump up above Denver. Maybe not in the standings, but in terms of actual trust level, in terms of the actual talent that they have. I don't think that that's going to happen, but I don't know. What if Kevin Durant goes to Phoenix? Don't you want another guy that you can have guard him other than just Aaron Gordon, Zeke Naji, Flacco Chanchar, and Michael Porter? Like, you probably need somebody else. That would be, be something. So Denver could use one more player in their rotation. They could use somebody else who does a little bit of stuff. But I do think that on the flip side of that conversation, the ideal playoff rotation that they have. Um, actually, before I get to that, let me answer this question. Astrid asks, is it possible that Denver will buy out Jeff and DJ? No, I think it's very, very unlikely. If they do add another backup center that is guaranteed going to play over DJ, then maybe he requests it. I don't think he's going to want to, though. I think he wants to invest in this group. I think he's, he's taken a lot, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy to be the veteran leader with this group. Maybe Jeff would feel a little bit differently, but I don't think it's going to come from the Nuggets to try to buy out somebody. I think that they just, yeah, and Rob says it below, I think that they do like them both for the locker room more than anything. Uh, they've been really, really good with that. But, um, actually, let me get back to this. Still trying to figure this out. Apologies. Ideal playoff rotation at this stage involves the six guys that they do have. It involves Porter, involves Bruce Brown, and involves the other four guys that sat out tonight. Those guys are going to play a bunch. Let me do the math for you. 
They're 240 minutes in a playoff game. The ideal rotation for the Nuggets, as I wrote below, involves 35 plus minutes for each of those starters, except for probably Porter, who plays around 30, and let's say 25 for Bruce Brown. If you do that, 35 times 4 plus 30 plus 25, that's 195 minutes. So you're looking for another 45 minutes in your rotation on like a, a standard rotation in order to compete. And so some of those could go to Christian Brown. Some of them could go to Vlako Chanchar or Jeff Green or Zeke Naji or somebody like that. Maybe a replacement for Bones. Right now, if Denver has 45 minutes tied up for a 7th, 8th, and ninth man, it's probably about 20 for Bruce or for Christian Brown, probably about 15 for Vlako, and about 10 for Zeke Naji. That to me sounds about right. That to me sounds about what Denver would do. Now, is it ideal? No. I think that Denver could use another body, for being honest. I think that Denver could use another dude that they trust. But I do think that Denver's okay if they go into the playoffs with just this roster. But you want to protect against an injury. You want to make sure that, hey, Zeke Naji goes down. Okay, are you sliding Jeff Green to backup center? Do you feel good about that? Is Aaron Gordon playing backup center now, which means somebody else needs to play power forward? Are you playing, like, what if Michael Porter goes down, God forbid, and they actually have to replace his minutes? It's a lot to do. And so Denver just needs a body. They need a player that they can trust in the front court, I think. So we will see if they actually do that. But for now, let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to talk about this Kyrie Irving trade and what it means for the Western Conference and what it means for the Nuggets along with other trades in the West. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Final segment as we get into this Kyrie Irving trade. Kyrie Irving gets traded to the Dallas Mavericks for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first-round pick, and I think there was two second-round picks, if I'm not mistaken. There was some chatter on the timeline that maybe the Los Angeles Lakers offered both first-round picks that they have, the 2027 and 2029, but that Joe Sy would not sign off for that. If so, that's hilarious. Joe Sy is the Brooklyn Nets owner, and he did not want to get Kyrie Irving to the place where he wanted to go which was LA, if he was petty enough to not take that deal, that's hilarious. Um, But what I will say is that Russell Westbrook, like he's not going to help you as much as Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. So that is definitely something to uh, consider in that particular conversation. But let's talk about Dallas. Let's talk about Kyrie Irving now. Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith were both starters for the Mavericks, and I don't know who is going to be the starter now, but what I do know is they lost their biggest defender, or their best defender, and they lost their secondary creator around Luka. So they upgrade as a they upgrade a secondary creator, or they add at least another primary creator in Kyrie Irving. So your starting lineup looks like Luka, Kyrie Irving, um, probably Reggie Bullock. Um, man, it's tough. Christian Wood, Dwight Powell, like Maxi Klebus in there somewhere. Maybe, oh man, 
who am I forgetting? Like, Tim Hardaway Jr. is another guy. Like, I think they probably want to flip Tim Hardaway Jr. for maybe somebody like Karis LeVert with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But they might try to get bigger and, and try to find a replacement defender for Dorian Finney-Smith. I do think that this is an interesting trade just because it's, it's very theoretical from what a team like uh, Dallas is going to need to get through the rest of the Western Conference. But in general right now, I think it's actually it's hard to tell. Like, I don't like Kyrie Irving. I think that he's a talented player. I think he's incredible. But I do think that there's a lot of problematic stuff. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty that goes on around him. You can't really predict what he is going to do. And by extension, you can't really rely on somebody like that. So if he doesn't comply with what they want, he'll be a free agent and maybe he'll just sign with the Lakers in the offseason, in which case, man, Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith and a first-round pick and two second-round picks, that is a tough package to give up. That is a lot to give up. So if that is the case and they actually lose him for nothing in the offseason and don't really go anywhere in the playoffs this year, Man, that is going to be wild. That is a definite concern if you are the Dallas Mavericks. But let's go through some of these Western Conference teams and how they would match up with the Mavericks in theory. The Nuggets. Let's think about the Nuggets for a second. Who's going to guard Nikola Jokic? That is the start of everything. Now you have Luka Doncic on the other side. Who's going to guard Luka? Who's going to guard Kyrie, like those guys are going to be unstoppable too. I just think that Denver just has that extra gear with Jokic kind of directing everything and and making easier shots as opposed to Luka and Kyrie, who are making tougher shots and taking turns going one-on-one. And I do think that Luka can create some easy shots for his teammates, but they just don't have a lot uh, around those guys. Like if Reggie Bullock goes off in a series, then maybe that's fine. Maybe that's good enough. But what is Denver? What is what is else going to do against Denver? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. What about the Suns? The Suns would have a tough time guarding Luka. We've already seen that for sure. They would have a tough time guarding Kyrie. But I do think that Devin Booker hunts both of those guys. I do think that they don't have as many defenders. And that would be a pretty tough series. It would be a pretty fun rematch for sure. But Chris Paul going up against Kyrie Irving. Luka Doncic going up against Devin Booker. There's a lot to like there. Mikael Bridges probably does some stuff. But I don't know. It's hard to tell. Like You would think that like Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie were so big for that Suns matchup last year, so you never know what that's going to look like. But it's matchups like that. It's matchups like against the Warriors, where if you know you're not going to be able to stop those teams, then you might as well get a really great one-on-one score and one-on-one talent that is going to be fantastic in those matchups. I do think that there's a viability there. There's a possibility there that Denver, or not Denver, that Dallas can progress in a series like that. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't know. It's really tough. Uh, Memphis, I think that Memphis has enough talented defenders to go up against them. I think they have enough to outscore them. Sacramento, that's a tough one though. I think that Dallas could really win a matchup against Sacramento. I think the Clippers, Clippers could probably win a matchup against Dallas. I think that Kawhi Leonard takes turns uh, just going right at Luka Doncic, going right at Kyrie Irving, and 
those guys would have a tougher time scoring against the Clippers than I think the other way around. So, I don't know. Like, this is one of those where the West has been so mid. The West has been really, really odd for this entire time. And I have no idea what to think uh, when it comes to how Dallas goes up against other teams. What I do know, and Joey puts it here, Dallas doesn't fear me at all. Uh, well, what, what did I just say? Uh, I don't fear fear Dallas at all. Dallas doesn't instill fear, Joey. Uh, I think that's uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, but no, I would still predict Denver to win that series. I think they're actually a little bit easier to go at than with Spencer Dinwiddie, than with uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. Those guys make it harder for Denver to score because of how big they are. Kyrie is not that big. Kyrie is actually really small in terms of as a help defender. And so Denver's going to make it really, really easy to go at that team. Like it's just going to be hard for them to do what they have to do. Josh Green is one of their young players. He's not going to save them. There's no doubt about that. Like who are they going to get that can save their defense? I don't think anybody. So let's get back to uh, the rest of this topic. Other trades that could change the West hierarchy. This is how we will finish off today. I think that Kevin Durant is still somebody to think about. I think that Kevin Durant is going through it right now. I think that you're probably your your life has clearly been upended as a contender with the Brooklyn Nets. They have a lot of role players around Kevin Durant. They have Ben Simmons, who had himself has been a role player. He has not been a star this year. Maybe that changes, but I don't think it would. I don't see any reason why it would, but Kevin Durant, if he were to be traded to the Suns or to, I don't, I don't know if anybody else in the West can really do it, but if he were to be traded to the West, that would obviously change my tune. I would be very interested to see what, where, and where Kevin Durant goes. It could be to Miami. It could be to Toronto. Could still be to Boston. Although I kind of doubt that given how Boston's done, but it also could be to Phoenix. And if Phoenix were to get him, then I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell people. Like that's a that is a tough matchup for Denver if uh, you've got Devin Booker and Kevin Durant on one team. Like Denver will still be able to score, but I can see being a little bit scared of that. OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi has been in a lot of rumors. He has been somebody who I think a lot of teams see as a final piece or at least a piece that gets them closer to Denver. Memphis is one of those teams. I've talked about this before on podcasts that if Memphis were to do the thing that Philly did, uh, where they had P.J. Tucker kind of be the main post defender against Jokic, and then they have Joel Embiid as the help defender, Denver could scheme around it. But I think you could see Memphis winning a game purely because OG Ananobi is that main guard uh, or that main post defender. And a team like, or not, a player like Jaron Jackson Jr. is the the help def defender behind him, and he's so good as a blocker, as a rim protector that, like, that is going to be a tough matchup no matter what. Even if it's Stephen Adams is the the main guy who Denver's kind of going at, Jokic is kind of going at. So, I don't think it's a thing that I'm worried about, but I do think that if OG Ananobi goes to a team like that and they don't have Dylan Brooks anymore, that could be a different thing. Uh, same thing with the Pelicans, same thing with the Suns, same thing with even like the Portland Trailblazers. Like I know that people don't respect Portland, but if they 
just get to a place where they can outscore Denver no matter what, or like they can at least keep pace with Denver, and then it comes down to a game six or a game seven. Damian Lillard has shown the ability to go off for 50. He's shown the ability to go off for 40 consistently against Denver. So that's one where I don't worry about it now, but if it were to happen, I'd have some concern. Fred Van Vliet to the Clippers or to the Suns, somebody who could really upgrade their point guard group, somebody who could put them into a position where they do some good things and, and maybe the Clippers are a little bit more functional against a team like Denver if they have Van Vliet. They have just another guy that you can trust. I have found that the Clippers are at their most dangerous, at least of these last couple of years, when Reggie Jackson is just hitting those pull-up threes. Those are killer because they're bad shots. He doesn't hit them often, but he could go five of eight and really kind of change the defense, try to drag the defenders out away from the rim, and then he's quick enough to get to the rim. Fred Van Vliet is kind of like that. He's a guy who could really help space the floor for a team like the Clippers. And again, like I don't think that the Clippers can stop Denver. I don't think that Zubach is going to do it. I don't think that anybody on that roster can stop Murray, really. But I do think that they could find ways to keep pace. And I think Fred Van Vliet would be somebody who they could upgrade to and kind of do that. Boyan Bogdanovich, he's another weapon that if he goes somewhere in the West, I'd be watching out for that. And then some smaller names like Jordan Clarkson, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and Jakob Pertl. Those are guys that if they filled in at the right spot, like maybe it's the Suns and they go get Jakob Pertl and they have another guy that they can throw at Nikola Jokic along with DeAndre Ayton. I think that that would be interesting. I think that that would be something that I would be more concerned about as a Nuggets fan. But I still think that Denver is the clear-cut team. I still think that Denver is one of those teams that everybody else is looking up at right now. But Denver also isn't the team that teams are feared of. Like There are no truly elite teams in the NBA. And I know that that can kind of offend Nuggets fans because Denver has the second best record in the league right now. But what I will say is that it's not a big deal. All you have to do is be the best at the end and reach a level at the end in which other teams cannot reach. Denver's capable of that. I think they've shown that to me based off of what they do defensively when they lock in. When they don't lock in, when they get to a bad place, it does not surprise me if they go, uh, if they could lose a game here or there and it looks a little bit bad. But what I will say, if another team kind of steps up to the plate, if they put themselves into a situation where they can get a lot better between now and the playoffs, then that's a team that Denver will have to watch out for. Could be the Warriors, it could be the Suns, could be the Clippers, could be the Pelicans, could be the Grizzlies. I don't know who it is. But what I do know is the teams see a window and that they will be aggressive. Whether they actually find the right deal remains to be seen. But for now, uh, that is going to be it for this particular episode of Pickaxe and Roll. And Astrid, I would also be disappointed if Denver did not make the Western Conference Finals. That would be that would be pretty bad. It would be a bad look, especially if they do get the one seed and they get kind of an ideal break in getting home court and things like that. So it would be tough. But that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. I know everybody. Uh, it's not great to see players rest. It's not great to see Jokic not play. Not great to see Jamal Murray not play, especially after he put up 41. Well, 
I think that Denver's in a good spot. Michael Malone was laughing on the sideline. Michael Malone's in a good spot, too. He's not really frustrated about this one. Everybody's going to be okay. We will see what happens at the trade deadline. But I do appreciate all the love. I appreciate all the support. And for everybody, thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys next week.